Welcome back, everyone, to the Financial Frosty Canucks podcast. I'm your financial advisor, Jason, along with Director Frosty. Big stonks. Invest high. We flying, boys. <laughs> I was thematic this episode. Wait, legal disclaimer. We're actually not financial advisors. Don't take our advice. Yeah. No, but like okay. seriously, don't, we're safe. don't take our advice. All right. We're safe, I think. Anyway, yes. GameStop stocks were that was quite the roller coaster so for those who don't know there was a short squeeze that happened on the game stock or gamestop stock that's really hard to say it really is henceforth referred to as gme which is its stock ticker so there was a short squeeze on gme a bunch of bastards on wall street lost a shitload of money because they shorted it i'm not going to bother explaining what all of that means i'm sure you can find youtube videos or articles that are very comprehensive at the time of recording, the people who haven't already like kind of pulled out of the crazy meme-tacular roller coaster that are they're left holding the bag, they will have lost money. I assume that somebody somewhere, I assume the Wall Street's going to get all their money back, whether it's by way of the government basically paying it out yeah, to them. Know, yeah, yeah, just like the shittiest thing of all, because it's like then it's the entire American population through tax dollars that are you know going to these fucking scumbags instead of. Well, there's like a ton of people out there who, who need just like a fucking stimulus check. And it's like, well, what did they get? They get a fucking bunch of sawdust and a package of cardboard and they're told to eat that. Like, it, uh, is, there's a yeah. lot of problematic things that are involved with this. But fundamentally, a bunch of people on Reddit found out how to fuck over Wall Street for about two and a half to three weeks time. Yeah, about two weeks. Uh, so this hedge fund basically got discovered for shorting the GME stock. And then they uh, gathered the two million or so bastards <laughs> and just threw all their money, including like some of the people said they were throwing their stimulus checks into buying up GME stock. And then uh, it went from a roughly $40 to at one point, I think the highest one was like $400. It was over $500. Was it over? Yeah, it was even more than... Let me fact check that, but I am pretty sure it was over $500. Yeah, I cannot see historic data. I can only see where it started and where it stopped. The highest recorded like day finisher was $347 after all the money was settled. But I do remember seeing it at least 450 at one point. And I do think I saw that it had gotten up to 500 at one point. But right now it's $53. Either way, crazy stuff. That's like not really ever been seen before. Yeah. And the thing that's really interesting about the whole situation is that nothing that happened was illegal. All of the rules for how the market functions were followed. I think they are trying to make it a little bit like they're making it, at least the media is trying to make it sound like it's illegal because it's like, oh, it's a pump and dump. I'm like, but it's yeah. allowed. The media is trying to make right, uh, the non, yeah, like the non rich people out to look like they're evil and like the government is and like people on Wall Street are. And I would trust none of them. Mm -hmm. It's actually bullshit. The rules were followed to a T. If a free market functions the way a free market does, then what happened is exactly the kind of behavior that you can see in a free market. But the people on Wall Street don't actually want it to be a free market. They want it to be a free market where only they are allowed to play and everyone else is not allowed to play. I kind of think the government will introduce some legislation that will prohibit small term investors or some. Oh, actually, I don't know. I feel like that would be really, really, really stupid because there's a lot of tax money that the government can scoop up from that. I don't know. It would be fascinating to go 100 years into the future and read the history books that are written 
specifically the sections <laughs> that are about this event, because I think it will have some kind of long-standing impact. I can imagine like a law class or something like that. This law was introduced due to Reddit. Exactly. Or just like if more of these kinds of things happen, then it'll be like, this is like the GME, whatever the fuck was like whenever this thing started. And then that led to like this other thing and then this other thing and then this other thing. And then legislation was introduced. But then they did this other thing that circumvented the legislation because legislation's always written with loopholes. I don't know. I think it'll be very interesting to see what kind of ramifications this has on kind of the future. It'll be interesting to see how many of these, like, just fucking shithole Wall Street bastards go down in the process. <laughs> because they don't add any value to anything. I'm sorry, people who work in the financial industry, you are, like, some of the biggest crooks on the planet. Yeah, when you have, like, millions of dollars, you don't need more mi- millions of dollars. You don't need to be a Jeff Bezos. Jeff Bezos doesn't even need to be fucking Jeff Bezos. <laughs> But like people who work in the financial industry, by and large, especially in North America, I can't speak for other places, but definitely in North America, the financial industry is loaded, like bloated with people who do nothing and don't understand how or like not enough of how like finance even works to comprehend how or what they should be doing and how to accurately continue to make money or add value to the financial sector. There's like a ton of dead weight and bloat. If you have money and you follow what someone else who actually does know what they're doing is doing, then you will probably make money, which is how a ton of these morons made money in the first place. They're all doing it through their financial advisors and shit like that. Like, that's the other thing. Financial advisor is like the biggest fucking oxymoron. Because if you knew how to make money through the financial industry, you wouldn't be working as an advisor for minimum wage. You would just make the money out of the financial industry and then fuck off for the rest of your life. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, that entire job, that entire career path makes no sense to me because it's like, well, the knowledge they possess is the same knowledge that everyone possesses about the market. If they actually knew how to make a shitload of money off of the market, they would have done that already. And then they wouldn't need to be working minimum wage as a financial advisor or like maybe just above minimum. Well, you know, you get what I mean, right? Yep. I mean, it might make sense when you're starting out, but yeah, maybe like the long term, like being like 50 or 60, still doing the financial advisor shit. Yeah. And I'm like, sorry to anyone who listens to this podcast who either is a financial advisor or who like knows a financial advisor who's like very close to them. That job is like actually completely fucking, I, I won't say useless, but it kind of is. Just like the majority of people who work in IT are fucking useless, which I can speak to from personal experience. I guess you can too. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Anyway, do you have anything else to add to GME, uh, the meme fest? No, but apparently um, the bumps ended up making it look like uh, Reddit stuck up the middle finger to Wall Street. I thought that was pretty funny. Someone drew a, like, a little. Okay. <laughs> I didn't hear about that, but okay. I'll find that later and show it to you. With that out of the way, Frosty, you were pretty excited about the Nintendo Switch sales. So recently, Nintendo finally released numbers on how well the Switch has been doing. I love looking at numbers for like console sales and stuff. And that in like game sales, because it's like fascinating to see where where the trends are and like how much of the discourse about a game actually relates to its sales. So like a good example is like a ton of negative discourse happens about sports games every year, but they're consistently the best selling games or some of the best selling games every year in spite of that. Grand Theft Auto still makes cracks like the top 10. Grand Theft Auto makes a shitload of money, regardless of how often people complain about that. So, with that said, the Nintendo Switch sales were finally released. They have overtaken the 3DS sales, and Nintendo doubled down and raised their forecast for how much 
switches they think will be sold. I think over the next calendar year or the next financial year. I'm not exactly sure which. But anyway, so they have sold just under 80 million units worldwide. Like I said, that puts them above the 3DS. The next milestone to hit will be the Game Boy Advance, which had 81.5 million. Then the uh, the big boys are the Wii at 101 mm-hmm. million, which the Switch will probably overtake. Based off of the trends, yeah. Yeah, based off of the way it's going, it'll probably overtake that. The Game Boy, like the original OG Game Boy, which is at 118.7 million. I don't know if it'll overtake that. It might. And then there's the Nintendo DS, which sold a whopping, colossal 154 million. I do not think the Switch will overpass the Nintendo DS unless the Switch is around for a lot longer than I think it will be. Yeah, it's tough to say. Would they count Switch sales if they like did a new new Switch model? I believe the DS skew is all counted under. So like the Nintendo DS and the Nintendo DS Lite and oh god, what was the other one? The DSi. Yeah, the DSi. I believe all three of those are counted under the Nintendo DS skew. I'm not 100% sure, but I think that's true. Just like all okay. of the different types of Game Boy, like the Game Boy Advance, the Game Boy Micro, and the Game Boy uh, Advance. Uh, yeah, the SP. They're all under the Game Boy Advance skew. So the Switch is almost four. It sold approximately 20 million units, averaged out over every year. So I could very easily see by the time it's five, it'll probably be around or over 100 million. I don't know if it'll get to 154 million unless it's around for like seven or eight years. And I don't know if it will be around for seven or eight years or if Nintendo will like replace it with something else because typically Nintendo releases a new piece of hardware, like a new, new piece of hardware every like five to like six, seven years. I think they might continue it if they have like the new Nintendo Switch model, like the one that apparently, at least it's rumored that it exists, that's going to be like more high powered than the current switch to release a a new model later than they usually do because they usually do hardware iterations pretty quickly yeah they've really delayed that like it's not been very many of them other than the light version so nintendo for a while was trying to do hardware iterations and trying to get sales the same way that phones do where they'd release a new one every single year or about every 12 months yeah and the nintendo 3ds yeah, exactly. Uh, it was pretty bad. It would they had like the 2DS, the 3DS, like the XL one, the normal 3DS. It started with the normal 3DS and, and then the it new 3DS. The XL and then they released the 2DS and then it like you said, yeah, the new 3DS which was like a new version of the 3DS and I think the XL. Which that one's the only one that actually has like the new 3DS is the only one that actually has any value because there was games that only played on it. <laughs> Yeah, instead of it being like, oh, this is the exact same thing. But they <laughs> exactly they tried to release them like they were phones, and that, that idea didn't necessarily catch on. I've noticed with the Switch, they've been a lot more judicious about how they release them. They had the uh, Switch, and then I think on year three, they released yep. so like last year. They were, yeah, I think it was yeah, last, last year they, last they finally year. released that. Jason here, editing the podcast. We were incorrect about the release date of the Switch Lite. It was actually in September of 2019. Uh, But seeing as how everyone thinks 2020 didn't happen, the years go 2018, 2019, 2021. So technically, we're still right that it was last year. (laughs) Jokes aside, on with the rest of the podcast. The not switch, I forget what it's called. It's like switch light. Okay, I think it is just switch light. You think I would remember that? I call it a not switch because you can't actually. It's just a handheld tablet. <laughs> it tablet. really you is. Can't, can't switch it.
like the the switching part of the switch is not there. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, if they do like an enhanced switch and they call it like the new switch or like the switch XL or whatever the fuck, I don't know what the fuck they'll call it. Some some goofy ass shit like that. But if they release that at like year five, then you know by spreading out those new kind of hardware iterations, they might continue to keep people invested in things, especially because. I think the PS4 and the Xbox One both proved that if you release a hardware iteration, a not insignificant number of the uh, or amount of the audience will buy it, right? Case in point, myself, I had a normal PS4 and then I bought, yeah. the, I bought the PS4 Pro because, well, don't, I don't even know why, I, 100%, I think, but I had I a think, 4K TV. But Yeah, I think 100% of the people who I'm friends with who own, I shouldn't say that because I got a much wider spread of like blogger friends now, but like, the folks who I am very close friends with, I will say, people in my, my close inner circle, all of them who had a PS4 upgraded to a PS4 Pro at some point during the last, how old is the PS4? It came out in 2013? Yeah, 2013. Okay, yeah, so they bought a mid-generation yeah. upgrade. So they had like four years on the old one and then like kind of three, four years on the new one. Yeah, because the PS4 Pro was around the time when um, Horizon Zero Dawn got released. That was the big showcase one. Okay. So anyway, that's which sales in a nutshell. What's really interesting there then is the attach rate of some of the games. Now, I know we've talked about this before, so I won't make you guess them again, but it's very interesting to see how the numbers have shifted around since the last time we talked about Switch sales, which was, I don't know how many episodes ago, but it was, it was certainly, it was a couple months ago. So Mario Kart is on a throne of 33.4 million units, which means that if you know someone who owns a switch there is like a 45 or like a 47 percent chance that if you say do you own mario kart 8 deluxe they will in fact own mario kart 8 deluxe almost half the people who own a switch own this game yeah one and two that's crazy just about one and two yeah it's actually pretty wild animal crossing new horizons 31.18 million just about the same number of people also own animal crossing (laughs) There's a good chance if you walk up to somebody who owns a Switch and you ask them, do you own Mario Kart or Animal Crossing? They will probably say yes, because a not insignificant amount of people who own the Switch console own one or both of those games. Yeah, that's crazy. It really is. I mean, the same attach rate was for the Wii U, though. Like, it was... Yeah, but the Wii U didn't have even remotely the same number of sales as the Switch does, which is what makes no, this so I know. much more interesting. Okay. I get what you mean. With the Wii, it had 101 million units sold, right? But like the highest attach rate game was Mario Kart with only like, fuck, hold on, let me look it up. I think it was less than 20 million. It was far, far lower because a lot of people bought a Wii and only used it as like a Wii sports machine. Yeah, it was even advertised as like, oh, it's great for senior centers and stuff like that. So it, yeah. it, got, it got quite the casual market. Absolutely. I mean, the Switch seems to be like the casual market and then with the collective of the 3ds because the hybrids so again, yeah both the people that like like only the console and only the handheld, the handheld. yeah well, both. this is like a very obvious prediction to make but there's like a podcast i did back in like 2015 or something where i said that the biggest advantage that the switch is going to have is that nintendo will be firing on all gears with it they won't have their development team split between 3ds and wii u so they won't have like mm-hmm. a console and a handheld thing they'll just be everybody is going to be putting games on this thing which the way they've kind of done that, it, it meant that the Switch has had like kind of more games than a typical console, but it hasn't had. I think the development costs for it are much well, obviously they're much higher than it would be for the DS or the 3DS. So it hasn't had as much 
first party support as the handhelds would have. Just just a kind of correction to what I, I said there before. It, Mario Kart Wii was not 20 million, it was 37.32 million. So about 37% of the people who owned a Wii had Mario Kart. Meanwhile, Wii Sports had almost a 100% attach rate. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, of course. Of course it did. It came with the damn thing. So it sold almost 83 million copies. So it's like, oh, where are the other 20 million copies? The other 20 million copies were like the Wii Mini or like right, other yeah. versions of the Wii that were sold, but they, you know, they were designed for like you already had a Wii and this is like an upgrade Wii or like a replacement Wii. Yeah, a replacement Wii. God, that name, it sounds so much more dirty when we say it, like whatever. What's so dirty about Wii? Wii Wii. Wii Wii. Oh, shit. French, it's how the French say yes. So Smash Bros. Ultimate is in there as well. It's the big, fat Nintendo party. It has 22.85 million units. The fact that that game has had a shitload of DLC has been a huge factor in that its continued success. I got to imagine that a ton of characters, like getting fucking Minecraft Steve, that was a huge guy. I know there's a bunch of people who would be like, what, Minecraft Steve? Like, the, the kids liked Minecraft Steve. That's the whole reason that Minecraft Steve was a big deal. Exactly. That's Nintendo's audience. Yeah, well, fundamentally. I know there's a ton of adults who also love Nintendo games, but it's like Nintendo makes games for everyone. That's their that's their shtick. Breath of the Wild, 21.45 million, making it the absolute biggest best-selling Zelda game that's ever happened by a very large margin. Mm-hmm. Pokemon Sword and Shield, this actually got a huge bump up. and Well, not a huge bump up. It sold a couple extra million, and I assume that came as a result of the Crown Tundra DLC coming out, giving further renewed interest in the game, despite people continuing to bitch and complain about the game. It sold immensely well. It's actually like one of, well, I guess it's not one of the best-selling Pokemon games, because all Pokemon games sell pretty well, but it's, it's definitely on the higher end of the scale. The lower end of the scale is around 15 million units per release, but like for a dual game, new generation Pokemon game, 20 million is on like the higher side of the scale. Mm-hmm. Pokemon doing that actually bumped Mario Odyssey down into sixth place at uh, also in 20 million. And then we see kind of a huge drop off. Well, I, I guess I shouldn't say huge, but seventh place is Mario Party at almost 14 million. And then Pokemon Let's Go with 13 million. Splatoon 2 surprisingly sold over 10 million units. It has 11.9 million units. And then New Super Mario Bros. U Deluxe, that name is a mouthful. Good lord, has almost 10 million units. <laughs> I'm glad Splatoon didn't die on the Wii U. Yeah, it's actually really... Well, I mean, like, Splatoon 2 is a sequel that's kind of like Madden-style sequel, where they just took, like, everything that was in the Wii U one, and were like, well, fuck it, almost no one bought this game, so let's just recycle a bunch of the content and then add some more stuff into it. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine, though. Yeah, I mean, like, enough people probably didn't really play it, so it's, it's kind of like, instead of just porting the game over, they're like, yeah, we have, like, new ideas. Let's make this game a little bit bigger, a little bit better. One thing that's actually really interesting here is that spot number 11 is Luigi's Mansion 3. Nice. Yeah, so it has sold 9.13 million copies. And the interesting thing about that is that if you exclude Breath of the Wild and the Ocarina of Time re-release on the 3DS, and I believe The Link Between Worlds, which is like fundamentally like a link to the past as a, like a remake, Luigi's Mansion 3 sold better than every other Zelda game ever, except for those like those three that I just like listed, which is like crazy to me because Luigi's Mansion was not like a big Nintendo franchise like at all. It was like a very kind of like, oh, you know, like Luigi's second fiddle to Mario. Yeah, everyone was upset when that was the uh, GameCube uh, 
Yeah, title. like the launch title, right? It's Mario. It's Super Mario Sunshine. Yeah, that, I think that came out a little bit later. Yeah, it was like a year or two later. But yeah, Luigi's Mansion was like one of the launch titles. Yeah, and it's like crazy to me now that Luigi's Mansion 3, like a franchise has gotten to a point where it's like being recognized and it's actually like very successful after like, you know, having kind of two somewhat middling releases. And then it's like, wow, this game almost moved like 10 million units on the Switch, which is crazy. And Nintendo's disappointed with that. Are they? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just joking. Oh. It's not 20 million. Now, before we move on, that's kind of like the really interesting thing that I thought was there. It's like just how high the attach rate is on like some of those like top 10 games, how well the sales are, how well it'll like kind of maybe be in the future. I still don't like the Switch for a number of reasons. I think I vocalized them before, but it is for a quick rapid fire. The online sucks. The controllers are fundamentally broken. I don't find it comfortable to use. It has almost no battery life, and I want to use it in handheld mode. The games all run like ass on it. I like me that 60 FPS. I think that's kind of the short list of things. I know some people really like it for a number of... Oh, and the games cost more than they do on Steam for some reason. <laughs> the Nintendo tax. But yeah, so that's like uh, the short version for why I don't like the system. But yeah, you can you can enjoy the system independent of what I think of it. It doesn't matter. Yeah, the, the cartridge um, tax. Yeah, well, even like digital ones, I guess they have to have parity pricing, that's why. Yeah, how shitty their uh, online store is. You don't even want to buy from there. Yeah. It's only digital only. <laughs> so here's a big guess, big guess time. I'm going to I'm gonna quiz you on one thing before we move on to oh, another topic, though. So in the top 20 games on Switch for copies sold, there is one game that is not a Nintendo published game now keep in mind when i say a nintendo published game i'm going to say hyrule warriors is in here in the top 20 and that's co-published by koei tecmo mm -hmm. but like nintendo's still a, a yeah well they're like the north american and pal region publisher but like it's published by koei tecmo in japan so i'm like i'm still considering that like a nintendo published game and then like both pokemon sword and shield and the let's go pokemon games Nintendo owns like a third of the fucking Pokemon company. So for all intents and purposes, the Pokemon games were published by Nintendo. <laughs> there is yeah. one game in here in the top 20 uh, most well-sold games on the Switch at the time of recording on, on February 4th, 2021. There is one game in the top 20 games for most well-sold games on the Switch. Can you guess what it is? It's very obvious if you think about it for a little bit. FIFA. What the fuck? No. Damn it. No, take a real guess. That was more or less my real guess. I thought. Oh, for fuck's sake, Jason. It's a game that was really popular last year. Among Us. Yes. Wait, sold that many and that quickly? Holy shit. Yes. Among Us came out on the Switch during the last few months of last year. So Among Us has only been on the Switch for like, God, when did it release? It released November. No, hold on. That's. Oh my like God. It released in like December. It released on December 15th. These numbers were recorded December 31st. That's why I didn't guess that one. Yeah, no. I didn't in, think in, that that was that quick, gonna get there in, that quickly. In 16 days, Among Us sold 3.2 million copies on the Switch. <laughs> you don't, you, yeah. there's, for, Jason's gonna edit it out. There was just a solid like 20 second pause where neither said anything to say after that. <laughs> It's astonishing, though, isn't it? Yeah, that's why I didn't guess it at first. I thought FIFA just because of um, oh. our UK friends. No one buys FIFA on the Switch. Uh, I suppose play, that's true. People play FIFA on actual like consoles. But yeah, Among Us sold fucking insane numbers in a matter of two weeks. That's crazy. 
give it some more time, I hazard a guess Among Us might, I don't know if it'll creep its way into the top 10, but it's certainly going to, I think it'll move up the list. So it's at spot 17 right now. It's coming for Luigi's Mansion 3. Yeah, that's just, like, I have a feeling that it'll creep up. I'm pretty sure it'll go past Hyrule Warriors, uh, Link's Awakening remake, Super Mario Maker 2. I, it might pass that as well. Super Mario 3D All-Stars at spot 13 with 8.32 million. That's where I'm thinking that like, that's going to be like the big hurdle for it to get over. I don't know if it'll be able to get that high. But yeah, there's like a ton of kids who bought Among Us on the Switch. It's a very popular game. It's very easy to get into and it's very fun. It doesn't take a lot to be able to play it. I've actually played it now. It actually It is actually fun. Owing mostly to the people you play with, that and Jackbox are kind of like that. Anyway, that's kind of all I had to say about the, the Switch numbers. I think it's very fascinating looking at these numbers. And like I said, the attach rate on some of these games is, is fucking wild. It's crazy. So I guess good job to Nintendo after they fucking sat in a corner jerking off all over themselves with the fucking Wii U and to a lesser extent the 3DS. They finally actually released something that is a worthy successor to the success they saw when they had the Wii out. Yeah, it'll probably uh, take it over by the end of its life cycle for sure. I'm thinking that's true, yeah. At least the Wii, yeah. I still don't think it'll pass the DS. The DS is like the fucking king, though. It's It's yeah, got it's the, absolutely ridiculous it's the numbers. the holy grail of Nintendo. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I guess the next thing we can move on to, it'll probably be a little bit more of a short topic after listening to me talk about fucking numbers and like Nintendo sales things for a little while. I find it interesting. I don't know if everyone else will. But um, <laughs> something that didn't do as well as Nintendo, Segway, over the last couple of years is Google and their effort with the gaming industry. Wait, are video games dead? No. Whew. On Monday, so February 1st of 2021, Taku reported that Google was going to be closing its two, uh, or no, it's two or is it only have two of them? Either way, it's shutting down its first party studios. Yeah, it's, yeah basically. It's shutting down its first party studios that it had created for Stadia. Jade Raymond, who was leading the kind of forefront on Stadia, is leaving the company. And Stadia is presumably, or yeah, no, not presumably, Google has officially announced that Stadia will be closing down. So I don't think anyone was, or no, hold on. It's not that they're shutting down. They're, it's, yeah, sorry. They're going with third-party support going forward. Yeah, yeah. Doing an opposite of the Wii U problem. <laughs> yes, sorry, I, I misread that title. So yeah, they're just they're closing the, the doors on their first party studios. They're not pulling the plug on the service yet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you remember Google Glasses? No, actually. No one remembers Google Glasses. <laughs> Dude, Wait, that was real? Point. Yeah, those Fuck? smart glasses that Google was like all gung-ho about and then just I thought that was just like a meme. I didn't no, know it was I'm real. I'm pretty sure they released that fine. They released it. Oh. And then uh you never really heard about it because it kind of died within a year. It actually died. I feel like it died quicker than the at least Stadia has. Can Stadia really die if it was stillborn? Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it celebrated its, it's, what, two years? Yeah, two years. Yeah, but two years of like 100 people using it. Well, that by, I don't think it's that low, but yeah. <laughs> it wasn't a, ra- a rousing success. Anyway, they're closing down the two game studios. The one they had located in Montreal and the other one in Los Angeles. So, you know, like 150 people, roughly, are um, going to be jobless because of this, which sucks dick. No, they didn't actually say they were going to be jobless. They were going to move them around within Google. Oh, so really? not actually out of a job. Oh, never. yeah, sorry. I fucking, I'm, okay, why don't you just take this? I, I can't, <laughs> I'm tired right now. I have That's not, fair. I can't fucking remember anything that you just, you do this. I mean, that's really that all I had in my notes. Um, oh, well. I mean, 
they have some exclusive games that I'm pretty sure will kind of just run out the timed exclusives. And I feel like to maybe recoup some of their money, if for anything that they have released that's exclusive to the Stadia, they'll probably just push that off onto other consoles. I can see that. Just to recoup some. But then again, they have to have a game development studio for it. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not really surprised by... Are you surprised anyone? by this? I'm no. not yeah. surprised by this. I don't think anyone's surprised by this. I don't think it, it takes a genius to have predicted what's happened. There's people out there who are still afraid of downloading digital games and having like a license mm-hmm. for a game instead of a physical copy of a game on their shelf. Especially considering that in North America, in Google's home market, data caps are a thing. Exactly. And so is mass throttling. Well, and yeah, I think the numbers were like, if you wanted to have the best quality experience, like the near 4K or something like that, or it was 4K, you needed like one terabyte, which is just insane. Yeah, I did the math on that way back when Stadia first announced and they released like the numbers for how like what it would be ideal for a quality experience. Mm-hmm. I know some other people did, but I didn't like believe the numbers they wrote until I did the math myself. I was like, oh yeah, those numbers they wrote were actually true. And yeah, it was, if you were playing like an average amount of time, so like, you know, like a, you know, like 20 or not 20, it was like 40 hours a month, it would be over a terabyte of data, which is like no ISP is going to let you go through yeah, a terabyte need- of data in North America. They kneecap you way earlier than that. I get kneecapped it. Like, I have unlimited data, and I'm saying that with, like, fucking air quotes that no one can see, but... As do I. Yeah, and it's like, when when do you get kneecapped? I start getting kneecapped around 300. I'm not even sure. I, I don't think I reach... I don't get fucked like that too, too much, but I know there was one month where I downloaded a bunch of games. Between, like, the streaming uses up about 30 a month, and then listening to, like, music while I work is what's well, nothing I mean that and like watching random YouTube videos ends up being like almost 100 gigs a month oh if it's yeah YouTube videos yeah I think if I had Spotify the number would probably go down by a lot because then it wouldn't be trying to like run fucking videos that are like I'm clearly not paying attention to <laughs> and then <laughs> Steam is usually really really low and t- unless I download like a big AAA game so and like a few of the games I've been playing recently have been big games, so I've been hovering at or around that 300 consistently, and I'm like, oh, god damn it. Oh no, Frosty like, Fro- uh, Frosty Friday's going to be ruined. Yeah, I keep getting throttled. Well, I mean, I, keep, I usually get throttled around 7 o'clock my time, but at that point, it's like, well, I should probably like fucking go eat anyway. <laughs> so It's your healthy reminder. <laughs> yeah, basically, my ISP is actually helping me out by reminding me that I need to eat food, otherwise I'll pass No, don't out. encourage them, don't encourage them. <laughs> Anyway, I didn't think that this is a revolutionary, like revelatory. I don't. I think even a, a blind person could have seen this coming from miles away. So yeah, well, um, we'll just have to see what um Xbox's uh, cloud service like games gonna do next, because clearly Stadia is not gonna get in the way, and I don't think that a uh, PS Now, Sony's equivalent of that, is. Uh, I mean, it's it's successful enough, but I don't think it's like revolutionizing. You know what's hilarious about PS Now? And and Maz would criticize me if I forgot to mention this when someone mentions PS Now, is that PS Now was available on PC before it was available for some countries in Europe. Mm-hmm. Which he was like, what the fuck? I can't use I can't use this. It was on PC before it was available in my, in like my fucking country. What the fuck? Or I think it was it was his country. No, you're right. You're right. About. I can't remember if it was his country specifically, but yeah, there was like certain countries in Europe that were like didn't have PS Now, and I like sitting over here on PC. And it's like, oh yeah, I can get PS Now in North America on my computer. What the fuck? Yeah, they. Uh, Sony's a very interesting company. Yeah, I can't describe them in words. 
Oh, that actually reminds me. Hold on a second. I well, I'm correcting myself. Like dumb shit I said that was wrong. I think Thomas said something. One correction that Thomas wanted to offer. Well, I guess not a correction, but like an addendum to something I said. So in the previous episode, I'd said that the uh, steam refund policy we were like we owed that mostly to Europe. Apparently, at the exact same time that the EU was slamming Valve, Australia was doing the exact same thing. It wasn't just because of the EU. Australia is also partly responsible for pressuring Valve into introducing the refund system that is ubiquitous across the entire platform now. Well, thank you, Australia. Yeah. Well, Thomas knows that for a fact since that's where he's from. So yeah, that's just like a minor addendum to what I had said about uh, the Steam refund policy last episode, whilst I am correcting myself here. Okay. Well... Now that we've determined video games aren't dead, I'd like to say that May 2021 for video games is fucking stacked this year. Yeah, so I read, I think you responded to a tweet I saw, and I was going to just ask you during the podcast about what you meant by that, because I, I have no idea what's coming out in May, so please enlighten me. Okay, so in May, this is kind of cheating, but it, like, it's you're pretty much going to be playing it in May, is this... Uh, PS5 exclusive. I don't think it's coming to PS4. It's called Returnal, which is the uh, space groundhog day-like game. What the art? I've never heard of this before. What? Is, sorry, That's Space just, Eternal? No, it's it's called Returnal. Oh, Returnal. Just Returnal. Yeah, and it's like it's a groundhog-like day game where you like this lady who's like kind of crashing on this planet is like reliving the same events over and over and over again. Oh, it's from Housemark. Mm-hmm. This is what they stopped making arcade games to make. Yeah, I'm hoping it's... Um... Although it says it's a roguelike. Yeah. Whatever. It's got a 5 out of 5 score on GameStop's website. It's not out yet. Yeah, I know. <laughs> God damn it. Oh, dear. So it's technically coming out on April 30th. It got pushed back from its March release. Basically, that's almost May, yeah. By the time Amazon delivers it, if you're getting it like a physical copy... You're going to get it in May. Yeah, okay. There's Resident Evil Village. Is that the one with the vampire lady that everyone's losing their goddamn minds about? Yeah, it's the one that bonked everyone with Horny Bat on Twitter. Yeah, everyone needs to be bonked with the Horny Bat for that game. Good yeah. lord. Yeah, that's out on May 7th, I believe. Oh man, they announced that really close to its release date. That's actually, I, I kind of appreciate when game studios do that instead of like, telling you about a game that's coming out like four years in the future anyway square, continue square enix yeah or <laughs> oh, square enix that's like 12 years in the future all right fair enough so that's coming out um may 7th and then we've got the mass effect legendary edition which is the collection of the three games with all the dlc that's out on the 14th collection of all the mass effect games except that one we don't sorry. talk about oh uh, sorry of the, the original trilogy my bad no, no no you said that you actually did say the trilogy i, I wanted to make a joke about how no one likes andromeda <laughs> oh yeah no imagine if they actually included that on like fucking people were like no i don't want this they'll just throw it out of the case oh thank god you didn't put it on the third game i read this one this one's i believe is it's the rune factory 5 game but it's out in japan that's like out in oh uh, mid may so we'll at least know miranda will be uh i guess sarah will too she does she like rune factory well, sorry it's it's out in japan only yeah uh, i know but like but... miranda's been like oh i want this game to come out if it comes out in japan then it's like okay now it just needs to be localized and it'll be out in north america so yeah it's like the 21st or it's it's somewhere in there okay and then uh death loop finally coming out 
Oh yeah, that's the uh, the arcane one. Yeah, that's the one you're somewhat excited about. Yeah, I keep forgetting. I do you ever <laughs> just like forget about games so that you don't have to like? Because I know some people are like, "Oh man, I like want to play this thing like right now." I just forget about games until they're available and I can play them, and then I remember they exist, so that I don't have to like constantly think about how I want to play them and I can't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I forgot how um, that Ghost of Tsushima like even came out, and like a week later, it was like, "Oh yeah, that came out." All yeah, exactly. Oops, forgot that came out. Yeah, or like Hitman Three. I didn't know that came out until like a week after it was released. Yeah. Two fun facts about that. You can beat the first level in eight seconds if you don't do the stealthy run. And then uh, the second fun fact about that is it's already made back its development cost in a week. Nice. That's actually really good to hear considering the reboot of Hitman started out on a very tumultuous path. But I feel like now it's kind of gotten its footing and it's actually good to hear that it's being reasonably successful instead of a bunch of people saying that, oh, like this game's a piece of shit. And that being like the whole discourse about it, people are actually like playing the games and enjoying them. And they're like, you know, they're, they're releasing to what I would say is an appropriate amount of like an appropriate reception instead of it, you know, just being kind of like a, coming out and being like a wet farter immediately getting shit on at the gate because the business model behind the game is really dumb. Yeah, episodic was a bad choice. It kind of makes sense, but also no one was going to buy into it. So, mm-hmm. Like, I kind of get why they did it that way, and I can kind of see it as being like, oh, yeah, actually, this isn't, like, a terrible idea, but it's really new and scary, and people will be like, no, I don't want this. I want to play the entire thing all at once. Fuck this shit. No, I agree. Yeah, that is a pretty stacked May, or is there more games? That's it for now, at least. I mean, we still have another uh, few months. Who knows what else will get squeezed in there. Well, Um, I won't be buying Deathloop when it launches, but... At least there's no no other games in there that I'm necessarily interested in playing. Is there anything in there that you're interested in playing? Well, don't have a PS5, because fuck me. Resident Evil Village is cross-platform, but it was considering not having a PS4 and an Xbox One version, so that's probably going to run like dog shit. Yeah, that's probably a... Gen, so yeah, skip. That's probably going to be a, a current-gen game instead of a, a an old-gen game. Yeah, but I feel like it's going to... My play pretty shittily on the uh, current gen consoles. Why are you calling them current gen? They've been replaced. Sorry, not current gen. Sorry. Yeah, last I was gen. Say, yeah, last gen, old gen. I know some people are still calling like current gen and they're using it to refer to the PS4 and the Xbox One, and those people are wrong. No, I agree. <laughs> I just uh, I said it. Well, to be fair, I don't believe the PS5 exists because I can't fucking get it. So yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> jokes aside. Mass Effect Legendary Edition. I might pick that up. I have not played uh, two of them. so Which one have you played? I tried two, didn't play one, and didn't play three. Okay. So I haven't played any Mass Effect games. I was thinking of maybe picking up Andromeda, but I did not <laughs> at all. I did, I, that game came out, and I was like, what does the game look like? I looked at, like, read a few reviews, and I was like, okay, this game sounds like it's a broken piece of shit. And that seems to be the general consensus about it. It's like, oh, you could play through the entire like trilogy when they release the Legendary Edition. And I'm like, yeah, I don't have time to play through three fucking games. I just... <laughs> I no, they're really long games, yeah. Yeah, they're like really long games, and there's three of them, and I'm like, oh, God, that sounds like such a time commitment. Like, I don't... I can't do that. I don't have time. I don't have the patience for that. <laughs> Ain't nobody got time for that! Anyway, yeah, so that's why I think it's a very stacked May. We don't usually get that many games around that time, uh, at least AAA games. Wise. I feel like... 
more and more as time goes on. The earlier part of the year definitely gets more now than it used to. Exactly. Because people are, like, tired of competing over the same fucking, like, three-month period. Mm-hmm. On top of that, you also have, I think, with kind of moving towards more, like, digital storefronts being, the, like, a predominant money-making aspect for the industry as a whole. I think that a lot of publishers are more receptive to the idea of releasing their games on, like, not the traditional big times because they know they can get, like, that storefront real estate in the digital space for their games. Well, yeah, if you're the only game for the month, then... Uh... Yeah, or if you're the only game for, like, a two-week period, it's like, okay, I, I can do this. I, I can release a game here and make money. Yeah. So. But anyway, hopefully none of those games are um, snake oil. Speaking of snake oil... Segway! <laughs> <laughs> so, today, on the day of recording, an article went up. Well, Anders tweets, and a bu- it, it made the rounds on social media, so I'm sure that some people have probably already heard about it. The CEO of Moon Games Studio, or I guess Moon Studio? Yeah, just Moon Studio, not Moon Game Studio. And the uh, game director for Ori, both of them, Thomas Muller, I believe is how you say that name, wrote a giant-ass Reset Era post titled, Why Are Gamers So Eager to Trust and Even Forgive the Snake Oil Salesman? In this enormous post, he ripped Peter Molyneux of the Fable series, or known for the Fable series, I would say, no Man's Sky developer Sean Murray and CD Projekt Red by way of Cyberpunk, a new asshole. <laughs> he was not kind at all to these individuals. He criticized them for lying and being deceitful in uh, how they presented their games, what they said their games would have in them, while knowing full well that that would not be the case. He kind of cites Peter Molyneux as being like the kind of front runner with all of this. Obviously, Peter Molyneux is a much more seasoned industry vet before he kind of like fucked off from the industry. He would just tell you what he wanted his product to be instead of what it was. Sean Murray, for better or for worse, you know, kind of did that with No Man's Sky. I did say a few episodes ago um, to maybe check out that Internet Historian video. Because I think it's a little bit more complex than simply saying that, you know, like Sean lied about things. But, you know, generally speaking, I don't necessarily know if No Man's Sky totally needed kind of a pat on the back for, oh, hey, you made the game functional like the way it should have been when it was released in 2016. Or sorry, that sentence didn't make sense. In 2020, you finally made the game that you really like that you promised at release in 2020 or in 26. Fucking Christ. Ugh, words. No Man's Sky is finally the game that was promised at launch four years after the fact. There, there we go. go. <laughs> More recently, Cyberpunk 2077 is not even remotely what was promised. It will be what was promised in like... Three years. Yeah, based on what the timeline that developers posted, it'll be the, what they promised in two to three years. And a bunch of the actual, you know, like the people who are actually doing the work at CDPR are really pissed off that it was released in the state that it was by the, you know, the management and the, the marketing people are, I think, are more responsible for being complicit and organizing the lie that uh, went into selling that game and made it. I haven't seen the numbers yet, but I'm pretty sure it was one of the most successful games of last year. Definitely up there. And by numbers, I don't mean its numbers. I mean, like, its numbers relative to the everyone else's numbers. So that the big kind of NDP group yearly stats haven't come out yet. I assume that CDPR will have been a big winner last year with Cyberpunk, but yeah. Yeah, and they probably will be this year once they uh, 
fix up the game. Uh, yeah, I imagine that as the game gets better and better, it will continue to generate good word of mouth, and people will be like, "Oh man, was promised." Yeah, we should go back and actually like play this game. These developers actually fixed it up, and it's like, "Fuck!" It's like, "Come on, guys!" Like, I get that, but like at the same time, also this game came out in, like a completely broken state. That's the kind of the sentiment that Mahler was typing about it or writing wrote about in his his long ass post. He also criticized Jeff Keighley and the Game Awards for rewarding this kind of behavior with the best. I don't even remember what the award is called, but they ended up giving it to No Man's Sky. Yeah, ongoing support. And it's like, there's some developers who are in there who actually genuinely release like a good finished product and continue to iterate and improve it. And then you have something like Hello Games, No Man's Sky, where it's like they released a broken product and finally improved it to not being a broken product. And he also criticizes the game's journalists for not ever taking or not frequently taking these individuals to task for lying to consumers for not actually doing a journalism and reporting on this stuff accurately instead they just say like oh look at how great it is this stuff happened and you should be grateful for it and like all this other bullshit yeah i mean i understand where the journalists are kind of coming from because places that they work at assuming they're not independents they don't want to be shunned by blacklisted by these developers because oh then i can't get cyberpunk uh 2078 or whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. Next, probably gonna be the witcher again but i know exactly what you mean i would say that this is very refreshing because it's very it, it is it's very refreshing to see someone from within the industry criticizing this kind of shit because it's always like you know you got like your jim sterling's god i haven't watched videos like that in a really long uh a total biscuit was jumping to mind but it, god rest his soul but he he's not around anymore yeah but like other people who are like that, I don't know if there's new prominent figures, but they, you know, they repeatedly, you know, go to bat and like, ah, this is shit and this is shit and this is shit. But it's very refreshing to see someone within the industry go, no, I agree, this is shit. And to call out people for like fundamentally pissing in the well water of the entire industry. Broadly speaking, I don't disagree with anything he said. I only, I only skimmed his giant post. I laughed at a few of the things he wrote because... (laughs) They're very honest. <laughs> I mean, it sucks for anyone who's like, oh, this is like my first video game. I don't know why Cyberpunk 2077 might be your first video game, but let's say it is. And you've experienced that. You might be soured from playing games for the rest of your life. I know that's an extreme, but it's possible. Or it might have finally gotten through your thick skull after being fucked over by like <laughs> No Man's Sky, Fallout 76, Cyberpunk, any of the crap that Peter Molyneux shoveled in his day. You might finally after decades be finally like soured enough to the point where it's like oh fuck i guess it's the other thing he like calls out the fact that like gamers constantly forgive these people he's like why do you do this stop because it's just very interesting to see someone kind of be brutally honest about this kind of stuff from within the industry when the industry is usually like very closed vest shut down i don't want to tell you anything yeah hiding review copies for certain versions like cyberpunk did and then um for the PS4 and the Xbox One version, and then how Batman Arkham Knight hid the PC oh version. <laughs> God, the PC port was so bad. Uh, such a meme. <laughs> yeah, as soon as people don't don't see like the multiple reviews for the different uh, platforms, that's when you should probably be a little concerned because the, the writing was on the wall when everyone was just reviewing the PC version of Cyberpunk. Yeah, I thought so. People, most people are not. We're blinded by their hype. I'm not going to call it... Well, I mean, they're kind of unintelligent because you could think your way through it. But anyway, yeah, it was, like you said, I, I, writing was on the wall. 
that are like how CDPR wouldn't let anyone publish footage of the game until after it was out. Yeah, I mean, that's what that got that news got released afterwards. But yeah, that's some like grade A shady shit. Because some people would be like, yeah, I just like I didn't publish a review until two days after the game came out because fucking they were going to like DMCA my ass. Crazy. I don't have anything else to add to this. Do you have anything else to add to this? So why don't we get into the games we've been playing? So you've been playing more Monster Hunter, right? Uh, yeah. But you were able to finally get um all the achievements uh, for Iceborne again. So you're at the 100 of 100 again, right? Yeah. So just for some context for people, Steam doesn't differentiate achievement brackets like it does on console so on console when you have like a dlc it'll put achievements and trophies in like its own bucket yeah it's usually called like the dlc name yeah exactly that does not exist for steam achievements so i had 50 of 50 achievements for monster hunter world and then when iceborne released my total went from 50 of 50 to 50 of 100 as like fuck (laughs) (laughs) i I, for the longest time, had, I was missing three, although the final one was just get all the other achievements, so, like, you know, like Mm -hmm. a platinum trophy. Yep. All I had to do was get the last few monsters I was missing with a small crown and a big crown. So for people who have never played Monster Hunter, the monsters come in, like, different sizes. If they're, like, really, really big, they'll be, like, a big crown monster, and if they're really, really small, they'll be, like, a small crown monster. There was a few event quests that they added to the game over the last several months that helped me get a few of them because they just like every single time you play the quest it would have like a small version of monster x or a big version of monster y that's nice yeah they're pretty good about that it helps to get you a few of the ones to be a bit more of a pain in the ass but yeah i, I kind of like whittled down the last few and i only had like four left i'm like okay cool i can probably get them and with miranda's help because she got back into playing when she saw I'd been playing so much. So we worked together and we got me the last couple of crowns and I was very excited about that. So, so do you have to basically just like start the hunt and then if there's not a crown, you just like stop, like rinse and repeat kind of, that's the more efficient way to do it. So you can like go in and then you like walk up to the monster and there's like guides on YouTube that are like, Oh yeah. You like walk beside it. And then like, if your hunter is like this relative to this part of the monster, then that like that's a good sign. And then if you like trap it, it's like one of the ones we were looking at was oh, so the so the crowns aren't actually on the like the monster. No, the you have to kill it, and then you find you have out. to kill it, and then it tells you if the oh, size. Oh god! Was, yeah. So like for the one, so like <laughs> for the last one I had to get, you can't trap this monster because it's like a special boss monster that can't be trapped. So, like, the big version of it, your hunter can fit cleanly under its hind leg without, like, having the hunter's head, like, it will fit completely cleanly underneath the back leg of the monster. And that's how you'd be like, okay, this is a big gold crown monster. And then when it was small, the hunter would be, like, almost as big as, like, it would almost come up to, like, the ridge on its ankle. So That's awesome. That monster was fucking huge. Talking about Valhazak for anyone who's played that game. But yeah, so or like there's other ones where it's like, oh yeah, you'll like come up to like if you trap the monster in a shock trap, then your hunter's like shoulders will be in line with like the monster's kneecap, and that's how you know that like that's a small like a smaller big. It's very janky. There is mods on PC that will just tell you what the size of the monster is when you go in, but that's cheating, so I didn't use those. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. Yeah, well, I mean, it's like a lot of the times I find when you've played the game for a thousand hours, like I have, 
a lot of the time you go into the hunt, it's very obvious that it's a small or a big. Like you look at it and you're like, that is a very, very, very large version of that monster. This is probably the one. Or this one is comically small looking. It's probably the one. And like nine times out of ten, I was right. So like I, I was looked at it and I'm like, oh yeah, this is the one. I knew it was the one. I finished the hunt and then afterwards it's like, hey, here's the crown. And I'm like, yeah, I thought so. It's just like really frustrating because you'll go through because it, it only has like a two percent chance of sh- of being big or small. So like not two percent for either. It's like two percent for each. So it's like a four percent chance that it would be a crown monster. Like two percent big, two percent small. But it's just like really tedious because like you, I did. I ended up like killing like thirty or forty Vahazox before I finally got the last crown that I needed. Yeah, it's crazy because that's. I mean, that's a 1 in 25 chance. Yeah, well, it's like you can go in and you can just leave on the quest if you like, oh, it's not the right size. But I actually like killing the monsters. So I was like, well, I'm not going to just go in and like leave immediately. So I went in and I'd leave occasionally for like some of them. But like a lot of the times I still was like, ah, fuck this monster. I'm just going to beat the shit out of it. So I'd beat the shit out of it. And then like 10 minutes later, I'd go in and I'd do another one. And I'd be like, all right, is this one big enough? No, okay, I'll fucking kill this monster now. <laughs> I'll do it again. <laughs> so it's like I'm still actively playing the game, so just constantly bouncing in and out. It's obviously not the fastest way to do it. And then like the, the strategy that Miranda and I adopted was that we'd both independently go in to hunt this monster and then we'd measure it. And if we found one that we thought was uh, like a candidate where it's like, oh yeah, this one looks like it might be, we'd call the other one in to beat the shit and then we'd, we'd kill it and then we'd if it was and we were like, woohoo, and if it wasn't, then we were like, okay, well like, let's like, go back to individually hunting. So that okay, makes sense. That's cool. Yeah, that's the ideal way to if you have like three or four friends yeah. you, can, you can team up with. Or sorry, if there's like a group of four of you. Yep, yep, yep. Then you can all go in and be like, oh, I found one. And then everyone will hop in, beat the shit out of the monster. You all get the crown. And then, okay, now you then go back. And then you go look for the next monster, right? And I know some people who, when they find a monster that they're positive is a crown monster, they will send off an SOS signal, which lets random people join the quest specifically so that they can get the crown. Those people are fucking heroes very nice of them yeah yeah it's like oh i found like a monster that i know other people would want to like hunt so i'm gonna send off an sos flare and like have people join this quest so they can get the crown too i assume it like says what monster the person's hunting in the oh yeah yeah, yeah. okay you can you can search by like the quest type and the monster type and all this stuff so yeah I also beat alatreon that boss i was complaining about last week on the podcast woo it felt good to finally beat it. But also, that fight was unreasonably difficult. Was watching a YouTuber who, their name is just, like, it's just some memes. And they post Monster Hunter videos that are really, they're like a very experienced hunter, but they always make, the, instead of making their videos, make them look super cool. They make themselves look super dumb. <laughs> Basically, it's a compilation of all their mistakes. But they did a video where they used a longsword, a dragon longsword, to beat Alatreon. And I was like, wait a minute. Everyone else is like, oh, you got to use like the, like I said last week, you use like, if it's the fire version, you go with like an ice weapon and then you have to hit like the certain amount of ice damage against it so that it doesn't one shot you with its one shot move. But then you also have to like break its horns so it doesn't switch over to the ice form afterwards. But it's always weak to dragon. It's just not like super weak to dragon. So I was like, that's a good idea. If I can just like use a dragon weapon the entire time, then I can hit the elemental threshold. But I don't have to worry about breaking its head with that shitty mechanic that I don't like using at all. That doesn't work very well. So I spent a bunch, like half of a day, getting all like a set together that would be able to do enough dragon damage. And then I went in and it took me like 10 attempts, probably closer to 15 actually. 
But then I did like Miranda like walked over behind me as I was fighting this thing and like right toward the end, like the last I want to say like the last three or four minutes she was watching me. I was just beating the fucking just the devil. Just beating the devil like Bob Ross would say. Just beat the devil out of the brush. I was beating the devil out of a Latrion. Basically like one hundred percent damage up time. Like everything was just like it would do an attack and I just like dodge into the attack and then just re- like resume my combo. Or like it would do an attack that like forced me off of it, but then I would immediately do like a slinger burst combo. I was using the sword and shield, by the way. I do a slinger burst combo that would let me just dive back in on the monster and start doing a shitload of damage. I really learned the monster's moveset. I still think the fight is unreasonable. <laughs> I really don't like the mechanic. So no different from last time. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I beat it. I still don't like it. But one thing that was interesting that I found out, because I, I kept having like a really hard time hitting the elemental thresholds until I made like a very specific build. But I was hitting it with my favorite weapon, the weapon I'm the best, well, one of the weapons I'm the best with, which is the hunting horn. And I couldn't figure out why, because the hunting horn should have like dog shit elemental damage. And I explained that last time where I'm like, yeah, the slow weapons can't do the same amount of elemental damage, so it doesn't make sense that you would like force people to use elemental damage. One thing I actually found out when I was researching like what skills I should be running for an optimal, like, I want to do this alone, but I don't want to like die build. <laughs> and someone posted a bunch of stuff that was extracted from the PC version of the game. The whole reason you can't really, or you're not really supposed to switch weapons throughout the fight is because at the beginning of the fight, whatever weapons you enter with changes the damage threshold, the, like the elemental damage threshold. So oh. Capcom actually accounted for the fact that the greatsword, hammer, hunting horn, and I guess actually those three are the big ones, but like those three weapons do like dog shit elemental damage, and they have way lower values that they need to hit to be able to hit that threshold than the dual blades or the bow or the sword and shield which all do like a shitload of elemental damage very 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 quickly the dual blades actually because they're like the most effective elemental weapon they actually have the highest threshold of the lot so i thought that was actually very surprising yeah as you as you were just about to say it's it's very interesting i did not expect that to be the case but as i was researching it I, i found that that was in fact like they actually did account for it which is why you're not like they didn't want you to switch weapons midway through because then you could like go in with like the great sword, which has like the lowest threshold, and then switch off to a dual blade, and then you just fucking meme the monster to death. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know how you'd account for that. Like, if you could switch weapons, would it have to be the the highest, or would it have to be like an average? Because you could abuse the average system. Because yeah, as you yeah. said, have the lowest threshold one, and then have the highest one, and then just switch the highest one be like ah, average <laughs> so the only way hmm. the hunt's really i think designed for four players and the only way to be able to swap your weapon is to die and then you get sent back to <laughs> camp so it's like not tenable for everyone in the multiplayer hunt to die and choose to fight and even if you're playing alone i think maybe you could do it but you'd be stuck like you'd have to use the great sword at the start to do it and then it's like okay but then you'd commit suicide but it's like why would you just give up one of your lives because the fight's already hard as hell like when I finished it, I only died once. So you get to come back in twice. So I used like one of my like retries basically. And yeah, it was like, like, why would you do like, I, I don't know. There's like no, I wouldn't say there's any like tangible reason to even try or en- like entertaining that kind of idea. Some people who probably have tried to abuse it, but I think it'd just be better to go in with like planning on using 
whatever strategy you went in with, whether that be like, I'm just going to do a shitload of dragon damage the entire time and not worry about the horns, or we're going in with either ice or fire, depending on what form of Alatreon we're fighting, and then and we're going to do the horn breaks and we're going to beat it that way. So I kind of see why people would really like the fight. I still just think it's kind of unreasonable for all of the same reasons I listed last week. Speaking of unreasonable, I want you to, to apologize to all of our listeners right now. I finished Yakuza Like a Dragon last weekend. Why do I have to apologize? Because you listed it as a game of the year in our game of the year podcast, and I am disputing that. Because you only played up to like chapter 11, and I'd say, yeah, chapters 1 through 11, that is top quality Yakuza goodness. Chapters 12 through 15 are legitimately the worst shit I have ever played. It's fucking garbage. (laughs) All right, to all of our listeners. I'm sorry that Frosty wants me to be sorry. (laughs) No, I agree with you. And one thing that Frosty has told me on the side, or I think even on the podcast, is uh, you should play the entire game um, before you kind of make at least game of the year comments about it. I agree with that statement. Yeah, well, I mean, like the first two thirds of the game are so strong, right? They really are, which is why I thought it was just going to continue like that. Unfortunately, my mistake. Yeah, but and like the story is like it ends on like I thought was a really powerful emotional note. And I, I really enjoyed the story. But like, oh, my God, chapters 12 through 15 are just oh. So the problem I have, listeners, is I think the combat is bad because it is. And there's also a roadblock. Yeah, chapters 12, 13, 14, and 15 all force you to engage with the combat in a very, very large... Like, a lot of your time in those chapters is spent engaging with the combat. What's really weird is, as Jason just pointed out, there's a roadblock, a level-based roadblock. I was level 35 when I got to chapter 12, and the enemies are level 50, and I could still beat all of the enemies without having to try. They're all a bunch of brainless, useless punching bags. So even though they had a 15-level advantage on me, I was still either one or two-shotting them all. And then you get to the boss of that chapter, and he just does not give a fuck about you. (laughs) (laughs) To to use Donkey's words exactly from when he talked about Dragon Quest XI. It is. It's like you go from beating these like level 50 punching bags and thinking like, okay, I guess I'm the right level. This is weird. So this guy just being like, I will one-shot everyone in your party. Or I will, I guess he doesn't one-shot them, but he two-shots them. And there's no amount of strategy or, because it has like those kind of action command type uh, battle prompts. There's no amount of skill with those that can mitigate, you know, just being rolled over. It's just a stat check. So you have to double back to a combat arena that the game gives you just before this point and goes, hey, you should do this. And I'm like, I don't want to do this. This sounds like useless grinding, and I already hate the combat in this game. I don't want to do this at all. Yeah, which then you are unfortunately shown as... to do. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You're forced to do because you're shown during the boss fight. Yeah, no, you're not the right level for the next part of this game. Yeah, and what's even fucking... What really pisses me off is that every enemy after that fact is still just a useless punching bag that you can kill in one hit yep like i had i don't want to put spoilers in this part so i had i was using character number six and character number six at his max job level gets a skill where he attacks every enemy with a ladder and that would one shot (laughs) 
every single enemy in every single encounter. I used that move and nothing but that move in every encounter for the rest of the game, and he almost always one-shot everyone. The only time he didn't one-shot an enemy was when they were given, like, the ability to guard through attacks, or they had, like, extra health. Or, yeah, resists to physical or something. Yeah, exactly. But if they just had, like, a normal, if they were just, like, the regular trash punching bag enemies, which at least 80% of the enemies were, just one move would just fucking one-shot them every single time. So I was like, wow, this is so engaging. But yeah, the arena you do is like super fucking boring. The foes you fight in that are, they start off at like level 30 and by the end they're level 60. But because everything in this game is a brainless punching bag, it's not hard to get through it. You get a ton of equipment from doing it, which I used well and like through the rest of the game. Yeah. Because it, it actually was like legitimately good. But yeah, I hate it. I spent three hours just rerunning this stupid thing over. Well, sp- I went through it fully once and then i repeatedly reran the last five levels of it because that gave the most exp the most quickly yeah i didn't have that same experience i only ran through it once and then i went to the chapter 12 and beat them but i had a different party set up probably than you because i had possibly i i had the idol who has the ability to heal everybody i did have an idol but i didn't have her leveled up as high as everyone else which is why i was like i'm just gonna keep rerunning this until she's like as high a level as everyone else because right. you said that you were using an idol, and I'm like, that's actually probably like a good idea because Namba is a shit town healer. Yeah, he really is. Unfortunately, he's designed like a quasi magician. He's like a dark mage for like a Final Fantasy dark mage. You can like so like they can use a bunch of magic like high damage magic spells, but he also heals. But because he does a bunch of high damage magic spells, he's squishy as fuck. So if anyone attacks him like once, he dies. And I'm like, well, it's, my healer's no good if they fall over and die. I need like a paladin. Who can survive a hit or two? And Sai Chan, when or Sei Chan, whatever fuck her name is, when you have her as an idol, she has the stats to actually survive a hit or two. So that before she like needs to heal herself up or heal up the party or whatever. So she's a much more reliable healer. Uh, she can't do damage for shit, but that doesn't matter. She's just like a nice dedicated healer that you don't have to babysit. Definitely turn one of the two female characters you can get in your party to a, an idol. It, it's a very, very, very useful class. Uh, especially sure. because the bosses in chapter 12, 13, 14, and 15 are all, they're like the, the typical JRPG bullshit I don't like, where it's like, oh, can I just outheal the damage you do? Yes, th- I win. I, <laughs> I, I will win eventually. You can't beat me. There's no way you can beat me. I will just win. Oh, man. Speaking of, the fucking, mm, the, so the final boss is like a three-phase boss thing. It's broken up by some cutscenes, but I got cheesed to shit. I was so pissed off at this. This is why I stopped. And I, so, you know, <laughs> last week I was like really bitter about Alatreon being just like really shitty. The whole reason I went back and fought Alatreon again and beat it was because I said to myself, what I just experienced in Yakuza is more bullshit than Alatreon. Alatreon's <laughs> a more fight than this. <laughs> For some reason, one of the final boss fights, I think the kind of like the I would consider the like first the first part of the final boss fight. yeah the first part of the final boss when he enters his second phase he can do a one-shot kill move on your party members and they're like oh well like just defend or attack him a bunch and then you won't won't kill you in one hit and i'm like okay cool as soon as the dialogue prompt for that ended he charged at the attack and immediately hit ichiban with it before i could do anything and when ichiban dies it's a game over yeah, that I don't it know. It doesn't why they matter made it. if you have first aid kits that can revive someone in your inventory. It's still a game over. 
Yeah, the only thing that'll let you survive is a sacrifice stone if you have it equipped, but you're gonna have other stuff in your equipped for your accessories, so there is a skill that I did not know that Ichiban has from the hero job class mm-hmm. called Peerless Resolve. And I didn't know that he had it because I had no reason to look through the buffing skills at all at any point in this game. But it gives him a one-time insurance policy that lets him survive a fatal blow. So after being one-shot and having this fight that actually took like 30 minutes of slowly chipping the boss down, when it got interrupted by me basically being cheese-killed by the boss, I was so livid. I shut down the game for the day. But then I went online and I'm like, is there any way to prevent this? And someone's like, and, and like an IGN guide was like, use peerless resolve so that he can't like Oko you and ruin, like just fucking end the game. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'll use that next time, but I'm not going to do that today. I'm going to do it tomorrow. Yeah. You messaged me and you were like, fuck this game. I was so fucking mad. Holy shit. I did appreciate that you actually spent the time to talk with me afterwards because that did make me feel better, but I was so fucking no, pissed No, I off. agree with you in that Holy regard. I just shit. had a completely different experience for some of these fights. Like, I didn't have the same issue. He still one-shotted somebody, but he didn't one-shot the character, and then... Well, yeah, so, like, when I fought him again and I had Peerless Resolve on Ichiban, guess who never got targeted with the one-shot move? Yeah, Ichiban. It didn't... Yeah, it's... Ichiban never got targeted. Everyone else in my party got targeted and got knocked out, but I was like, okay, but, like, yeah, when Ichiban has the fucking, like, I can survive one fatal blow, he didn't even get attacked by the boss, and I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> That's crazy. Oh, you weren't so... using, like, any aggro moves or anything like that, I bet. No, because the aggro moves don't work effectively on bosses. They only worked, like, a third of the time, and I'm like, well, I don't want this to work a third of the time. It's not useful to me if it only works a third of the time. <laughs> Yeah, even the main, like against the main enemies, it doesn't even. No, exactly. So I'm like, well, this that makes like Adachi kind of useless as a character unless you switch him over to being like a more damage oriented class. I found that really frustrating. And then after I beat, finally beat that fight, which was it was it was a 30 minute slog fest. Then the second part of the final boss started, and I jokingly was like, oh man, <laughs> all this needs is a fucking dumbass quick time event. And that will be like just the fucking cherry on top of the bullshit. Boom, pie. we got you. Yeah, and then sh- yeah, fucking after the third part, there's a fucking QTE. Several of them, in fact, messaged Jason afterwards. And I'm like, oh, I fucking like joked about there being a QTE in this. And then, yeah, sure as shit, there's a fucking QTE at the end of the game. And I was like, God damn it. You know what I was hoping at the end for that third part? I wanted to go back to like the brawler style. It's just like a really easy version of it, like a tutorial one. Oh, yeah, like <laughs> it's like he's finally over the RPGness, and then it's like, oh, the next game's gonna be not RPG, please. Yeah, no kidding. That's what I was really hoping for. I was like, please just have this as a little small battle area. It's like designed the proper way. No. Nope. What's nope. so weird is it changes your fucking class too. It changes your class back to the one that actually uses the fist, like the brawling, like the Yakuza class. Yeah, so mine was like level six. <laughs> it also maxes out the job. I don't know if you noticed that. Did you notice that? Maxes out the job? Oh, no, I didn't notice that. Yeah, it, so I had that job as like level five, and it made that job level 30. So I had like a bunch of skills that I had never, ever seen before available. Oh, I didn't to even me. notice that. I just punched the guy that's it i didn't even oh no I, I repeatedly kept using like a, a suplex on him because it did the most damage and i was like i'm done with this game fucking let this fight be over <laughs> yeah the third fight is just a fucking joke at that point well yeah the third fight's the only one that actually goes quickly and thank christ it did because at that point i was like i'd been fighting for like over an hour straight 
just whittling these fucking bosses down, and I'm like, God damn it, please let this be over. Yeah, I mean, the third one's just supposed to be for the story's sake. Yeah, and that's the only one that I was kind of like, this is the only one that maybe should have even been here. Or at least, <laughs> it's been, I don't know, it's just the fuck, uh, I, just, I hate the combat in that game. So yeah, the combat being as not good as it was, really soured my experience with the game in a very large way, I would say. It also made me like so frustrated and bitter. The ending could not hit as hard as it should have, but like I still respect the story that was there. I think it was wild ride. It is really good story. I would not recommend this game because I don't think it is worth finishing. I don't think the last four chapters are worth slogging through to see the end of the game. If you pick up this game, play it until you are bored of it, and then stop. Never ever touch it again. Yeah, watch a YouTube video of the story. Yeah, just watch. Really yeah, want like, to experience it. I was actually going to suggest that to you when you were just like, oh, I'm so done with chapter 12. Yeah, I honestly kind of, well, I don't cause I said, I, you know, I record the amount of games that I play throughout the year. And I'm like, basically, it's just a sunk cost fallacy that kept me going. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's some real shit. So I saw it through to the end. I really do not think it is a good game. I think it is made very bad by the combat being not very good. It's very brainless. It's There's no strategic value to it. And the fucking end of the game puts you into a position where it is just a numbers game where you just have to grind up a bunch. If you are going for the platinum trophy in this game, you are a crazy person. Hey. That is directed very specifically at you and Maz. But in that regard, you probably already grinded a bunch because you need to grind a bunch wait, to wait, even hold, get all the trophies. Hold on. I have 61 of the 63. That does not include the Platinum, so I'm one away. That stupid true Millennium boss fight, which is, has every pre-enemy at level 99. It is so stupid. Yeah, Maz was saying that uh, he needed to grind out basically all of the jobs, or at least most of the jobs on each one. Yeah, least five have or stats. so. Yeah, to, to even have the stats to be able to survive that dungeon. I got bored of doing that after doing two jobs. I bet you did. Yeah, I know. I believe you. So, because I knew you were play that game, and after you had messaged me, I was like, okay, you know what? For the sake of the podcast, I'm going to play this on New Game Plus, skipping all the cutscenes, and I'm going to record how long each chapter was. So I got the first four, and then I kind of stopped because I uh, some I got sidetracked with the... Uh, the management mini game. So I'll talk about New Game Plus. Chapter one. How much time do you think I spent playing chapter one, skipping all the cutscenes? You're just doing like combat stuff? Yeah. And like walking in between the, the locations. I don't know, like 30 minutes? 11 minutes. It took me oh to finish God. chapter one. <laughs> wow, I was, I was way over. Holy shit. <laughs> After two, 19 minutes. Chapter three, 15 minutes. Chapter the four, combat. 30 minutes. <laughs> Combat hasn't even been rebalanced. You're just plowing through everything. Well, I actually, for the first four chapters, I did play on Legendary Difficulty, which unlocks a new game plus, but you can turn it off whenever you want and go back to normal. By the end of chapter four, I was kind of done with the Legendary shit because it was like, it basically just bumps all their stats up to like, assuming you're level 70 and it's not really that fun when you're trying to train up some new levels. It does yeah. fix the issue regarding the job points a level one enemy in chapter one gave me forty thousand job points thank christ so i was just like plowing through the beginning of the game when i was it set me back at the freelance job because you don't have actually you don't have the jobs unlocked until you get to chapter five 
So I was stuck with my base jobs, which really sucked because by chapter four, it was like, you should probably have like a level 70 job equivalent with fighting these guys. And it was like, I was just getting like one shotted. Yeah, like almost all the stat growths come from the jobs, right? Yeah, the levels give like two to three, and then like the job gives like four to five or more. Yeah. So when you say you max out a job, you mean you got to like level 99, right? Level 99. Yeah. Because you get the achievement for like maxing a job when you get it to 30, because that's when the mm-hmm. new skills stop coming in, but that's when like all the stat growths come from the jobs. So those are like the majority of them are, yeah. That's when it's like the most valuable to you. Exactly. Yakuza, like, it, I, if they, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I kind of want to, at least playing this game reminded me that I was like, oh yeah, I actually like really like goofing around in the Yakuza. So I might actually play the rest of the Yakuza games instead of just not playing them, which is what my original intention was, to just play Zero and never play any of the other ones. But yeah, I might actually go back and play like a smattering. I don't think I'll play all of them because that'd be just friggin' ridiculous. But you said to play Kiwami 2, is that correct? I'd go with Kiwami 2 because Kiwami 1, that final boss is just fucking ridiculous. It's another gauntlet of like bosses. You got to fight like one that's got like a gun, and then you have to fight. Oh, a... guns are not. It's not fair when they have guns. <laughs> yeah, you can't block bullets. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, when I played it, it was my first time playing a Yakuza game, so I didn't have like the idea of how the combat really works. So even when I went back to zero, it was like a lot easier. So that might be just my opinion, but a lot of sites actually say. Ah, fi- second final boss in one. He's a f- motherfucker. Yeah, well, I mean, all enemies who have guns are a pain in the ass to deal with in Yakuza. Three is, um, if you play on hard, like every enemy is just like can block and it's like almost like a punching bag that you can't actually punch. So <laughs> You grab them. Yeah, that's the only strategy. I was going to say, it's a fighting game strategy. If the enemy just blocks repeatedly, what do you do? You grab them and you just keep whip them around. Yeah, it, it was just really kind of clunky. It, it's like three is essentially the youngest one in the, the group now because you Kwame one and two got remade. So remade, three yeah. is like the oldest, essentially. Well, is that including like the remaster they just released? Because they released three, four and five remastered on Steam like a week or two ago. So that's just HD. OK, yes, yeah, so it's, it's just, just like HD. A, it's just a texture pack. Yeah. OK, so but like Kwame and Kwame two are like we revamped the entire game. Yeah, they're made from the okay. ground up. Very kind substantial of. differences. Okay, so I could maybe catch up on the story for one, and then I could jump into the two. I think two gives you the ability to also re-watch. Recap? Okay. You recap, but I don't quote me on that, because I didn't actually re-watch it, obviously. I could just Google it and see if it's yeah. in there. I've already wasted enough time here, but I did play two other games. I played through the entirety of Super Liminal. It is a very good game. It's a uh, puzzle game based around perspective. So I wrote about it on the blog in about the middle of last year, briefly in one of my like indie variety hour posts. The kind of main gimmick is that like when you grab an object, you can like change its size based on how it looks to you, based on your like perception of it. So mm-hmm. if like so let's say you have like a tiny like a little baby block, if you pick that up and you like move really far away, but then like put it next to a door that's maybe raised up a bit that you can't reach and then you let go of the block then you walk forward the block will be as big as it appeared when you were at a distance and then you can like climb up the block and then climb through the door so it's like one of the basic puzzles in the game there's like a ton of really bonkers ass puzzles that are built around changing your perspective on things i wouldn't say that it's overly difficult 
And what I thought was really interesting, and I don't want to get into it too much because it would be kind of spoilery, and I think it's a game that is best played not really knowing anything, but there's like a bit of like a story to it. It's not like a story in a traditional sense. It's like a very, it's a story that only a video game can tell because you as the player are an active character in the story. And I really appreciated that because I expected it to just be like a puzzle game built around this really interesting concept and the fact that they were able to tie in a bit of a meta-narrative story where the player is an active participant in that story. I thought that was actually really clever. Yeah, that game, it, maybe it's a little bit, ex- it only took me two hours to finish and it's like a $20 game. You know, use your judgment when deciding whether or not to buy it. Even just like the puzzle stuff alone, I thought was really good. But the uh, extra meta narrative stuff, I thought really added to the game. Fundamentally for me, I haven't played much this year yet, but it's like the first game that I'm like, okay, this is probably a contender for, uh, or not probably, it's definitely a contender for my end of the year. Like these are my favorite games from the year post and podcast if we're still doing this. So yeah, it's very good. And I'm kind of dancing around it because like I said, it's best to go in not knowing things so you can just experience it and i might be overhyping it but i really enjoyed playing it so and the other thing is star renegades so i talked about that a few podcasts ago i'd played it on game pass and i was like this is really good and i want to play it a lot more without having to keep paying for game pass so i bought it on steam i finished my first run of it so it's a roguelike of course it is (laughs) unlike other roguelikes i did not fail repeatedly before i got my first win i just won the very first run i played the runs in this game take like seven hours to finish so they're not short (laughs) yeah they're really long but it was really satisfying to like finish it and now i'm doing my next run and i bumped up the difficulty so that the enemies have like more health and shields and shit which is like kind of lame but also with the way the combat's designed that is actually making it like legitimately harder without it being like oh that just take, takes longer to kill things so yeah star renegades is a great game i'll probably talk more about it in the next podcast because i think we're getting in on time and i know jason hasn't even started yet on his games he's been playing but the big thing for me that i like so much about it is where yakuza had combat that was brainless and you didn't have to think every single action you make in star renegades as far as the combat goes has to be thought through every single move your characters have in their arsenal of moves is like it serves a very specific purpose and figuring out what configuration of moves you need to use every single turn so that you can get through an entire encounter or even get through an entire campaign is very satisfying. A lot of the decision-making processes I'm going through with it remind me of Into the Breach as far as like the strategic decisions of the immediate turn, the overall encounter, and the overall campaign. It's a fantastic game if you like turn-based tactical gameplay i highly recommend checking out star renegades i like i said i'll talk about it more probably on the next episode when i've delved into it more than just a single run but i am extremely impressed with what i've seen so far from this game it has combat that was like turn-based tactical combat that was designed by people who have a very good sense of what makes good balance what makes strong meaningful combat combat's got a ton of like really really good micro and macro level decision making and the character progression is done in a way where it doesn't just let you snowball and run away with a victory by becoming ridiculously overpowered to the point where you like all that thinking is mitigated. It's got like a very, very, very good sense of like balance 
So yeah, it's a phenomenal game. Cool. Anyway. Can't wait to hear more <laughs> about it next time. I am pretty sure it's another game that will end up on my like end of year shortlist of the best games I've played this year. I can already see myself losing at least 50 hours to it. Maybe 100. So <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. <laughs> anyway, what have you been playing over the last two weeks? Uh, so continuing from prior podcast i continued playing dragon quest heroes 2 uh short story is i finished the uh, main campaign and then pretty much dropped it after that so <laughs> not, uh, not getting the platinum with that one uh not yet it's a very very grindy one. Oh, okay so a guide would say that it's about uh, 200 hours so i was like i need to play other shit i could see why if you have yakuza like a dragon and that's also super grindy why you wouldn't want to uh double down on getting grindy achievements or trophies or, or whatever same shit <laughs> yeah so i played as a palate cleanser uh two short games i played gris the uh devolver digital um published game um Green. by nomado studios I'm, i may be butchering that but say it gris oh is it gris yeah it's like the, it's like gray in french or spanish or some shit it's like gris not not gris well, I'm already starting off bad. Uh, no, no, no it's, it, it, it's fine. I've, I've corrected you. It's it's whatever. I'm just saying it like it's spelt. But anyway. Are you yeah, American? So, <laughs> no. So this is a game that's uh, about a character who's dealing with loss. So they're going through the um, five stages of uh, like grief. Yeah. Throughout like the levels. So there's like, uh, there's essentially like six levels. Yeah, the art is on point. It's a very, very gorgeously designed game. I'm sure that uh, Devolver Digital was like, so we want you to flex on art. And they said, how much? And they said, a lot. <laughs> That's what I'd agree with. I'd say the music and the sounds designs on point. One example of the art being on point would be after you finish this one area, kind of in a foresty area, there were some trees that were, they didn't have like any leaves or anything. So you couldn't use them as a platform. And when it's raining, that's when the outline of it shows up as like kind of like the water silhouette. It's like it really looks really gorgeous. Me saying it probably is not nearly uh, as good as playing it. it Just not doing it justice. This is definitely a game that you should play. Uh, It's like a three to four hour experience, I'd say. My only negative would be that um, nobody can make an underwater level section very well. There was a few points where the characters' clothing and like their design almost clashed with the darkness in the cave and in the underwater section, so that I couldn't like I couldn't find my character. I had to like move the character around to just find it. So yeah, there oh, were a few that's... times where the art design actually kind of clashed a little bit. But it's very minuscule complaint. That was a big one for me because I always hate when when uh... it's like you can make a game look pretty but still have it convey everything to the player accurately and i always think that with video games being interactive it's very important for them to always you know continually convey information accurately to the player so i always get like really i guess uptight maybe was the right word yeah no that's fair like i'd say it happened like for maybe 30 seconds of my whole playthrough so it's a very okay that's not so that's not so bad then no it's just like where is it (laughs) where are you at exactly and then i played the PS4 remake of a PS1 classic, uh, Medieval. I was going to say, uh, can, I, can I guess on this one? But I, I already forgot what you wrote above. 
how was that? Like, was it like a shot for shot kind of remake? It's a shot for shot kind of remake. How did that hold up? Definitely still has kind of the some of the same problems with the original. Uh, there were a few times where my character seemed seemingly kind of like not clipped into the wall, but definitely felt like they were uh, a little sluggish around the wall or getting like caught on the wall. That's one thing I noticed that was a little uh, weird. I guess that hadn't been polished up from the original. Definitely very um, pretty, but I definitely wouldn't or I wouldn't say it's like the best kind of remakes that they've made. Like the Demon Souls remake of on the PS5. That looks fucking gorgeous. This looks like it's still trying to keep the kind of the cartoony nature and a little bit of it kind of uh, wouldn't say it looks dated, but would you say it's kind of like the Spiral or Crash remakes? Because those are still those are cartoony, but like you can definitely tell that those have been like visually revamped. It's like one notch down from that. Okay. So it's almost there, but something kind of fell off about it. This actually isn't the first time they've remade the first one. They actually made it on the uh, PSP once as um, Medieval Resurrection. So this is actually their, not the developer, but the their third uh, game of the original one. Is this a series that Sony has just like made once and then just re-released a bunch of times? There was a sequel where the... Um, the skeleton character whose name escapes me. Uh, Dan? He, Isn't it Dan? Yeah. He comes back in like Victorian England in like the 1700s or something like that. But this game is set like in the 1200s or something like that. Levels range from anywhere between like kind of five to 20 minutes. The 20 minutes being more like the end of the game. But if you die anywhere in the level, you start like from scratch from the beginning of that level. So oh, no checkpoints. No serious checkpoints. Don't, you don't really die that often, especially once you've got a lot of these extra health potions that are basically your, your lives. But if you go in, like, let's say the lava or something like that, you instantly lose one of those sad lives. You can get to a health, like, generating portion. They give a lot of um, these potion kind of restocks to the player pretty frequently, so you're not going to die all that much. It's about uh, 21 levels with, with a tutorial, and the the money system that they've got is very it's weird because you'll be buying like a lot of um you can't buy potions which is really annoying but you can buy the ranged weapons like your throwing knives or your bow and stuff like that that you get through uh earning these chalices which are essentially like fight everything in the level or nearly everything in the level and then find the chalice in the hidden somewhere in the level and then uh you bring it back to the Hall of Heroes, and then one of the heroes will kind of belittle you and then give, be like, oh, you're pathetic. You need this bow of mine in order to succeed. And a mean-spirited. <laughs> Everyone hates the character because uh, the Dan character, because he's written as the hero, but he's the first one who dies in, <laughs> in the war against the evil uh, evil wizard. So, oh. so this is kind of his redemption arc when... Uh, evil wizard comes back because they didn't actually kill him because the story is all full of holes <laughs> from the sounds of it it sounds like this is a 3d platformer in the vein of like crash bandicoot or sonic the hedgehog instead of like a 3d platformer like mario is that yes the case so it's like yes just, it's very uh it's 3d platforming but it's in like a fucking linear level yeah very very linear level okay i still had a lot of fun with it i'm glad uh i gave it a shot because I didn't have a PS1 when I uh, grew up. I got like the PS2 when the PS3 was out. <laughs> so, I mean, I didn't 
I didn't start really playing on Sony consoles until like 2010, 2012, really. Well, you um, missed a lot of Call of Duty in that in that time period, so I missed quite. A, I missed that entire train. Yeah, the, the brown <laughs> gray shooter train. Yeah, exactly. The only annoying part is um, there's these imps, and they can steal your weapons. And then if they hide, they go into their hidey hole before you kill them. You can't get the weapon back. You have to buy it at the shop, and like you have to. That's where the only actually becomes useful because it's like, ah, that axe, 800 coins, please. And at that point, I only had like 1,500. So I'm like, oh, fuck you. You want half of that? <laughs> Never mind. Just quit. <laughs> quit yeah, and that's... come back. And then it was, I had my weapons back. I was just like, ah, this is a stupid feature. All right. And that's where the money is actually useful. But I had like 8,000 money by the end of it. I wasn't spending any of it. Oh, so it wasn't like a huge deal. No, it and... kind of felt very superficial or really just for that one mechanic where the, the imps steal your shit and they only show up for like two or three levels. So okay. it's kind of got some of that uh, classic PS1 old school 3D uh, platformer bullshit. <laughs> but the way you were describing the imps, I'm like, just sounds like those fucking monkeys from Mario 64 who steal your goddamn hat. Mm. <laughs> Give me my hat bag, you piece of shit. <laughs> That's uh, really all, all I've been playing. I just picked up Control, the Ultimate Edition, because it's part of the PS Plus col- um, for February. Uh, but I already bought a copy in December when it went on sale. So I get to own mine. Uh, so we'll get into that uh, more next week. So with that said, uh, that is the end of our show this week. Uh, thank you all for joining us. If you want... You can follow us on Twitter at the Frosty Canucks, and you'll be notified about when episodes go live. You can also follow us on Spotify, Stitcher, or Anchor, and you'll get the uh, notification through them for when episodes go live every other Wednesday. You can also follow me at Javam Animation. That's J-A-V-M Animation. And Frosty, uh, your turn. You can follow me on Twitter at FrostyLight. That's where everything that I do goes eventually. So it's like a catch-all place where you can find stuff. I write about video games on my blog. That's FrostyLight.ca. If you want to read some really cool written articles, like the uh, one I just wrote about Carry On and why people should check it out, you can do that on my blog. You can follow me on Instagram. That's where I post all of my art that I do. It's also on Twitter, but uh, the Instagram's just for art-specific stuff. And every Friday, I play... Or, well, I guess I don't play. I do stuff on Twitch as part of Frosty Fridays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. So that is either me playing a game that is being streamed or me doing art, which is being streamed. If you want to come by and chat that, it would be awesome. Pretty well treat that like going to the pub every Friday, since I can't go to the pub at all because of COVID. So... Uh, Yeah, stop by and chat. It'll be a great time. Thanks again, everyone, for joining us this week. And stay frosty.